If you would take your Bibles and go to the book of Judges. Book of Judges, now we're going back, although we went forward. We're going forward and went forward, now we're going back. Right? Yeah. We were going forward and we went really forward and we were coming back. To chapter 10. There you go. <coughs> Judges chapter 10. If you're visiting with us, uh, the Bible in the chair in front of you, black Bible, you can pull that out and find page 189, starting Genesis and then page 189, you'll find uh, Judges chapter 10. And this morning we're going to study the first 16 verses of Judges chapter 10. Judges chapter 10, verses 1 through 16. Judges 10, 1 through 16. By the way, uh, so we're leaving tomorrow uh, to go to San Jose to visit with Chris's parents for a couple weeks. So next week, Zach Moore from Northwest Community Church. Some of you might know Ellen. She's a member there at that church. So uh, their associate pastors are gonna come up and preach for me next Sunday. And then Jason Drum, you guys uh, are very much more familiar with Jason. Uh, he's going to be here uh, two Sundays from now and then three Sundays from now, from now unless he gets a call out. Just kidding. Uh, Kaylin's going to preach. So, so there's your, the three that are going to be uh, preaching for you. So we'll, we'll be back, I think, August 10th. We'll, I'm going to take that third Sunday off and then we'll get back in the saddle come, uh, what's that, August 22nd, right? Yeah, back in the book of Judges. So, which we're going to be done with Judges like, I think we're done in August, if my, if my memory serves me right. So we're gonna have to figure out what we're gonna do from September at that point. So you'll be praying for that as I think about that on vacation. Uh, what's gonna be next? Judges chapter 10 for today, though. Let's read the first 16 verses. I'll read out loud as you follow along with me in your Bible. Now after Abimelech died, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, arose to save Israel and he lived in Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, and he died and was buried in Shamir. And after him, Jair the Gileadite arose and judged Israel 22 years. And he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys, and they had 30 cities in the land of Gilead that are called Havath Jair to this day. And Jair died and was buried in Kaman. Then the sons of Israel, verse 6, again did evil in the sight of Yahweh. Serve the Baals and the Ashtaroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook Yahweh and did not serve him. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and to the hands of the sons of Ammon. And they shattered and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan and Gilead in the land of the Amorites. And the sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, and the house of Ephraim. So that Israel was greatly distressed. Verse 10. Then the sons of Israel cried out to Yahweh saying, We have sinned against you, for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals, and the Lord said to the sons of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines? Also, when the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and Manoites oppressed you, you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hands. Yet you have forsaken me, 
and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your distress. Verse 15, And the sons of Israel said to Yahweh, We've sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve the Lord. And his soul was short with the misery of Israel. Excuse me. Riley and Alyssa are going to celebrate their anniversary on Tuesday. Three years. Hey, all right. Three years. <clears throat> so let's paint a scenario for Riley. Can we do that? We're going to do this for you, Riley. <clears throat> Riley gets flowers, gets a great gift, gets chocolate. Chocolate's good. Always makes everyone happy. He gets on one knee. He says to Alyssa, Alyssa, it's her anniversary. And he says it with like this deep Hispanic voice. (laughs) Because it's sexy. Alyssa. No, that's something I would do. (laughs) Alyssa, it's our anniversary. Uh, Alyssa. So I have to give this to you. Jim told me I had to do this else I would not be a good husband. Probably don't want to do that, brother. Now, that, that wouldn't be good. Versus him doing this. Oh, I love you so much, Alyssa. You're my one and only. I want you and you alone. You're an amazing gift from God given to me. Now, Alyssa won't say to him, don't say stuff like that. That's sinful. You, you're, you won't say stuff like that right now. Of course she's not going to say that. She'd say, aw, I love you too. You should say that about me. Oh, no, no, no. I want you too, Riley. See, that's why marriage is a perfect picture of Christianity. Marriage was instituted by God, and he did that as a vivid Uh, You can touch it, physically see it happen before your eyes, this thing that he instituted called marriage between male and female because it depicts his love for his bride, Christ and his people, Christ and the church. So we say too, God. We say to our Father, Jesus, the Spirit, I want you more than anyone or anything. It's all you, Lord. You're my all. He wants you to want Him. That's, uh, there's a word for that. It's called worship. God's overwhelming, never-ending, relentless love for his people. That's the book of Judges. That's what it's about. And in these 16 verses, we're gonna see today a, a, a little bit about that love. It's a jealous love. 
Riley's jealous for Alyssa's love. Alyssa's jealous for Riley's love. Well, how come we don't think that way with our Lord? That his love for you is jealous. He wants you to want him. It's a jealous love. We've talked about this before. The sub theme of the book of Judges. He wants us to chiefly and solely want him and he'll discipline us to make that happen. He disciplines us so that he would be our one and only love. How much do you want him? He is jealous for your love. He's jealous for your desire that you would take pleasure in him. Well, that's not, that's not how I view my relationship with God. Why? You do that with your spouse. How much do you want him? Another way you can put this passage now, that's this kind of like the sub-theme of the book of Judges, and now moving into these 16 verses, let me give you this statement. He wants us to want him because of who he is and because he'll satisfy us, not because of what he'll do for us or give to us. Give me this and give me that. He wants you to want him for him. And of course, you enjoy those gifts that he gives to you. It's not to say you don't enjoy those. Of course, you, in the marriage, you enjoy the gifts that your spouse gives to you. But it's not about those gifts. It's about her. It's about him. It's about him. And yet, we fall short, don't we? And yet, he will still show us his great, undeserving compassion because when he disciplines us, he cannot bear to see his people crushed under his own hand. Which still glorifies him because it shows that he's so merciful. He's so merciful to us He's so compassionate and gracious to us, not because of you, but because of him and because of Jesus who paid the price for us so that now you can want him. And now those times where you don't want him, that's why Jesus had to die so that you would want him. See? He still gets all the glory. Amid Israel's constant, irritating faithlessness, God remained patiently faithful. Why? Because he'll always keep his promises. Being faithful, good, compassionate, and long-suffering so that we would love him, admire him, relish in his glory and desire him alone. His love is jealous for our admiration of of him. 
His love is jealous. I mean, God's focus is himself. He's going to display how awesome and great and gracious that he is. And you get to be a part of that by giving him the glory that he deserves. When you don't, he doesn't need you. He'd be fine without you. But he pulls you into this love. He pulls you in so that you will savor his glory. Be like, wow, I'm just so satisfied. Like when you're satisfied with the love of your wife, you're satisfied in the arms of your husband, you're satisfied with your Lord. And, and I'll just say this very carefully. That's why God created sex because it's the picture of that intimacy. It's that picture. You have Tola and Jair, these minor judges. Minor judges because there's less narrative and info about them. And then you see how Israel goes back to their idolatry. And you see Yahweh severely rebuking them. And you see his showing his amazing compassion because of their misery. So this is what we're going to look at this morning. So let me, let me bring before you how we can break down these verses in different points. And, and the ironic part is it's going to begin and end with the same point. The first point you have is Yahweh's compassion in verses one through five. And it's gonna end with Yahweh's compassion. And you'll see how this is all connected in just a moment. Notice God's compassion. Now after Abimelech died, that's important. Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, rose to save Israel. His judgment was the longest of any of the minor judges. And he seemed to be a man of prominence because of the name of his father, which is listed out here. His judge time probably overlapped Jair, even though his began first. But notice, it says he rose to save Israel. Well, how did Tola save Israel? Samuel doesn't tell us. Now, the, the word, excuse me, the word save implies some kind of military victory. But we're, we're not given those details. Samuel's vague. But what is clear, though, is this. It happened after Abimelech died. So it seems that with his saving, it came after Abimelech's destructive stupidity. You, you remember that a few weeks ago. Remember we talked about Abimelech? That guy was a nutcase, a psychopath. He was on a rampage with people. Remember that? Yeah. So we can almost rightly assume Rightly assume that Tola, by some military victory, he saved Israel, but also he gave peaceful, stable leadership after that Bemelech ran amok in the nation. So Tola was raised up by Yahweh. Abimelech was not raised up by Yahweh. Tola was. He saved Israel. He gave counsel and guidance in a time when emotions and, and tensions were high in Israel because of that clown. He brought calm. Here you see how God was so good to his people. He didn't allow this self-centered, self-seeking jerk, Abimelech, have the last word. 
Tola saved. God allowed this as a way for him to show his compassion to his people. And then notice the next one, verse three, three through five, Jair. Even in the midst of this, God still showed his compassion. Because notice some of the things you see here with Jair. His judgment was 22 years. Again, pretty long. His time was in Gilead, east of the Jordan. He was probably very wealthy because he had 30 sons, which means what? It implies he had multiple wives. Well, I've seen that before. This tells us he went down the road of establishing his kingly rule over the nation. Remember, we saw this same foolishness with Gideon. That's how the whole, my dad's king, Abimelech, that's how he can't remember that? Moses had warned any future king not to have multiple wives in Deuteronomy chapter 17. Jir wanted to establish his position in Israel, which is a subtle warning to us all. Are we extending our influence and displaying our status at the expense of personal holiness at the expense of the gospel when we should be making much of Christ? And yet, and yet, God still showed Israel his compassion, mercy, and grace because remember, it's not about Israel, but it's about God and them wanting him. He was very compassionate to them. And the passage keeps trekking along because notice Israel's lack of desire. Verse six, then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of Yahweh. Oh, heaven again. But this time it was really, 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 really Really, really bad. Notice, they served the Baals and Asherah, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sinai, the gods of Moab, the gods of sons of Ammon, the gods of the Philistines. They forsook him. Or another way you could put it, which you see this in other places, they played the harlot. This was just how faithless Israel had become a complete disaster and, and you see it just got worse and worse. Remember we had the examples that we looked at in chapter 17 through 21. We had those examples. That's how bad it become. So you have this lack of desire from Israel and then notice the next point that comes in, Yahweh's jealousy. Look at verse 7. The anger of Yahweh burned against Israel. He'd had it. And he sold them. At the hands of Philistines. And the hands of some of Ammon. He wanted them to want him. But they would not have it. So he sold them into slavery. Big time. Double oppression now. Philistia and the sons of Ammon. Both. And this is the first time Oppression was from the Transjordan on this side of the Jordan. Jordan River's on this way. Here's Israel. It's on this side of the Jordan. They came in. Look at the verbs that are used here in verse 8. Numeric Standard has afflicted. They afflicted. Literally, the word is they shattered and crushed them. 
Israel really faced Yahweh's discipline by means of these nations. You're going to go after these gods? I'm going to squeeze you. I'm going to discipline you so you would want me. And notice it didn't just stay on this side. It went now to the west. Verse 9, And the sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah. Benjamin, the house of Ephraim, Israel was greatly distressed. Yahweh was jealous for their love because he is passionate for his own glory. So should we be passionate for his glory. We should be passionate for him and his glory. We should desire him. They became greatly distressed and noticed the people became desperate. They had nowhere else to turn, no one else to help them. So what did they do? You read it before. They cried out. Verse 10. The sons of Israel, they cried out to Yahweh. He said, oh, we've sinned against you for indeed. We've forsaken our God and served our Baals. Here's Israel's cry of confession. Ha, we've seen this before. But this time the people confessed their sin to Yahweh. They actually admitted they'd done something wrong. We have forsaken our God and served Baal. Obviously, this is what God wanted from them, right? Right? You sure about that? See, this is how we treat God. He's naive. We treat God, he's just a big teddy bear in the sky. I just want to go. One writer, he put it like this. This is how we treat God. We treat him like a, quote, a great warm vending machine in the sky into which you need only drop a token or two of repentance before he spits out the relief you currently crave. Because you don't really want him. Get me out of this stinking mess. Just put the quarters in. All right, awesome. Israel assumed that when things went south for them, all they got to do is go back to Yahweh. And he'll take us back. He'll get us out of this mess. They were patronizing God. That's no big deal. One writer, he put it like this, and I have it up on the screen for you. I, I changed the wording a little bit, but this is how he put it. This is good. There's a huge difference between the prodigal son who came to his senses and a whore who wants the security of her husband only until another man comes along to take her. And that's how we treat God. We're the whore. And we go seek somebody else. We can't do this to God. Put this on the screen, and, and I say this carefully. It's not necessarily about pure repentance, it's about your desire. 
that spouse doesn't just want the other spouse back. That wife or that husband wants the spouse to want her. She wants him to want her. He wants her to want him. I want you to want me. Not just, not just you seek me out when you need a place to stay because the other guy was abusing you and kicked you out. You want him. See, his love for his people is a jealous love. You see? And then you see this jealous rebuke coming from Yahweh in verse 11 through 14. Here's the jealousy. Here's the fervency from the Lord. Verse 11. He said to the sons of Israel, is this what I want from you? No. He recites back to them, I saved it from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon, Philistines, Sidonians, Amalekites, Melanites, maybe that meant the Midianites. They oppressed you. You cried out. I delivered you. Verse 13, Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. I'm not going to deliver you anymore. Go to those gods. Let them deliver you. Let them get you out of this jam. Let them save you. They were on the edge of being totally forsaken by Yahweh. Friends, have we become accustomed to mercy? Like it's just no big deal. Are we treating God as just safe instead of truly desiring Him and Him alone? You have a passion for truth, for Christ, for the gospel, for the body, for each other. If we make God simply as a safeguard, this is how one writer put it, we end up worshiping someone or something else every time. He wants you to want Him. That's the essence of Christianity. See, that's why Christianity is different from all these other religions in the world. It's personal. It's relational. That's what makes it different. Trucking through, will you see, verse 15, Israel's cry of confession and their cry for deliverance. Verse 15, they said to Yahweh, we, we've sinned, do just whatever seems good to you, only please deliver us this day. We've sinned, do whatever pleases you. Deliver, notice those verbs. I mean, we see this and we automatically think, okay, now they're really repentant, right? Which is why God was moved to have compassion on them, Right? I mean, they were, they're really serious now. I mean, look at the next part. Israel's their supposed repentance or act of repentance you can write down. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and serve Yahweh. 
Here was their action behind their repentance. They truly, action, they truly acted. And this is what moved God, right? No. Their repentance did not move God. And notice, I told you, we're going to begin the same, going to end the same way we began. Because here you see in verse 16, the same point, first point, Yahweh's compassion. But notice the difference. And this is how it's translated from the Hebrew, which you should have it there in your margins. His soul was short with the misery of Israel. Repentance didn't move God to have compassion on them. No, no, no. It was her misery, her suffering. That's what moved Yahweh to have compassion. One writer, he says this, quote, Our hope does not rest in the sincerity of our repentance, but in the intensity of Yahweh's compassion. Well, if I just work up enough repentance, God will be compassionate towards me. If you think that, you're thinking wrong. That's not a biblical principle. Remember this huge principle. Repentance is a condition of God's restored favor for us as Christians. It's true, but it's not the cause. Repentance is vital, but it's not the reason. He's the reason. It's because it's about him. God cannot bear to see his people crushed. God cannot bear to see his people crushed. He vindicates them. Why? Because of his gracious compassion. That's why. And, and, and if you look hard or if you put your gospel glasses on now, you'll see a small little window into the gospel. God delivered his son from his misery. And the key is that God was the one who brought the misery on his son. but it wasn't because the son didn't want him. It's because you didn't want him. And that was placed on Jesus. Do you see that gospel truth in there? God delivers the misery of his people and vindicates his people because he's going to vindicate his son from the misery that Jesus faced on your behalf because how much you've fallen short of wanting him. See, upon Christ, God poured out his wrath and judgment because of our sin. He shattered and crushed his son so you can be given compassion. He shattered and crushed his son so you can be given mercy. Oh, 
all because God loves himself and he wants to see himself proclaimed and glorified to display that I want you to see and he says I want you to glorify me because I am a compassionate gracious God and you're overwhelmed with his glory you're overwhelmed with the unswerving value of his grace and of his righteousness His holy righteousness demands justice, but His compassion moves His heart to spare and vindicate His people. You see this tension between God's judgment and yet His good grace. And you see, see both of these characteristics of God displayed at the cross. Jesus received God's wrath and we receive his compassion. He's crushing his son, not because his son didn't want him, but because you didn't want him. That's why he crushed his son. So you can come to a place where you will want him. He is the best. And he wants us to see that he is the best for us. Now, I'll give you a disclaimer. Here's the little footnote at the bottom of the message. Here's my disclaimer. Don't, Don't get me wrong. God is pleased with genuine repentance. And repentance is the only way by which we receive forgiveness of sins. It's true. That is true. It's not simply just about repenting per se. It's about saying, oh Lord, I love you. I want you. I desire you. As a deer pants for water, so my soul longs after God, my God. He wants us to want him because of who he is and because he'll satisfy us, not because of what he'll do for us or give to us. It's about him. He wants you to want him for him. And we'll fail. It happens. My Lord, sure, when I write these things, you will not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's a propitiation for our sins. He will still show us his great, undeserving compassion because he cannot bear to see his people crushed under his own hand. He'll discipline you, and yet he'll deliver you because he's compassionate, which still glorifies him because it shows he's compassionate. See? It shows how wonderful that he is. I'll leave you with two thoughts. First, a story, and then lyrics to a song. Um, I have a friend 
was a lesbian. We were talking about Christianity. And I told her, within a conversation, this was some months ago, at the beginning of this year or something like that, or the end of last year. I told her, Christianity is not about becoming a heterosexual. It's about loving and desiring the Lord Jesus Christ above everything. You want him above everything. That threw her off. She didn't quite know what to do with that. But that concept of wanting him is, good to see you, Kaylin. Glad you're here, brother. Of wanting him is, is one of the songs that I enjoy listening to from City of Light, of course, right? Christ is mine forevermore. Listen, mine are days that God has numbered. I was made to walk with him. Yet I look for worldly treasure and forsake the king of kings. But mine is hope in my redeemer. Though I fall, his love is sure. For Christ is paid for every failing. I am his forevermore. Mine are tears in times of sorrow, darkness not yet understood. To the valley I must travel where I see no earthly good. But mine is peace that flows from heaven and the strength in times of need. I know my pain will not be wasted. Christ completes his work in me. Mine are days. Here is a stranger, pilgrim on a narrow way. One with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for his name. But mine is armor for this battle, strong enough to last the war. And he has said he will deliver safely to the golden shore. And mine are keys to Zion City where beside the king I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk, for there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Would you pray with me? Our Father, it seems that our desires are not strong but weak. We seek after foolish things when we could have a holiday by the sea and breathe the wonderful air of the beach but we're satisfied making mud pies. And yet thank you that you crushed your son because of our sin because we act like whores 
when we go seek pleasure with someone or something else. We are prone to leave the God we love. And yet thank you, Jesus, because that's why you had to die. That's why you were crushed. Not because you didn't want the Father, but because we didn't want you, Father. We renew once again our desire for you and our love for you. Much will take place over this next week, these next few weeks, these next few months, years. We don't know where things go. Uh, We cannot tell the future. But in all these things we pray as we face uh, your disciplining hand sometimes because of our own foolishness sometimes you're just bringing that about in our lives all of it to drive us to this truth you want us to want you chiefly solely do that in us and we we pray that really carefully because we really don't like it when you discipline us it doesn't feel good and yet thank you that your grace sustains us even when we're acting foolish you give us grace to be sustained under your crushing hand. Discipline us because we're not wanting you. So we will want you. Ah, this is just confusing. All because you're just going to get the glory and because you're just gracious and merciful and compassionate. That's who you are. Help us to see and the Savior the unswerving value of your name. I encourage you in these next few moments, as we do each week, fill your mind with the promises of God. Fill your mind with the truths of his word. Maybe reiterate your, your passion for him. Maybe you were convicted, say, oh Lord, I'm not, I'm not wanting as much. I'm not in your word or I'm not praying and, and, and seeking you out in that way. Help me, whatever. May it drive you to, to filling your mind with truth, to knowing that there's forgiveness and crying out to him saying, Lord, help me to want you like you want me to want you. Let your mind ponder on these things over these next few minutes and we'll sing, we'll pray, but please take this time to do that. Would you please do that now?